having some issues at home deciding on a couple of things. So I thought what I'd do is I'd bring it here and see if I could get some help on, on which way some of these things should go. So I just need you to raise your hand kind of where you, where you fall. First, kind of got to know, do you put the dishes in the dishwasher down or up? Does that make sense? So down, silverware, silverware, down or up? Down means, you know, the piece I eat with goes down, up, piece I eat with goes up. Who puts your silverware in the dishwasher down? Who puts it up? And some of you, who doesn't do the dishes at all? All right. Those are the ones I need to talk to after the service. Now, in the winter, do you fill your car up with gas while the car is running, or do you shut the car off? Who shuts the car off? Wow. Okay, who leaves the car running? A couple rebels in the group. Yes, a couple rebels. All right. Now, who leaves the water running during your whole process of brushing teeth? And who shuts it off between every uh, spit and then brush? Who leaves the water running the whole process? Oh, hey, whoa, whoa. This is a judgment-free zone. Who shuts the water off unnecessarily? Quite a, quite a few, quite a few. All right, all right. Who, when there's a temper tantrum from your spouse or your child, who responds quietly and patiently and just walks the other way for a few moments? Who responds with a temper tantrum? Who are happy the temper tantrum days are done? <laughs> All right. If we looked at each thing that we do in our life, you could look back and say, we were shaped or we were formed to do it that way. Now, those are pretty minor things, but there are pretty major things that were shaped and were formed. How I respond to a temper tantrum, it moves towards major because usually I modeled what was modeled for me. Do I use a credit card or do I use a debit card? Again, it goes to how I was shaped and formed. Everything we do is a reflection of how we've been shaped or how we've been formed. Every single day when you get out of bed, someone is attempting to form how you think, therefore form what you do. You're listening to something on the radio, you're watching television, you're reading an article, you're conversing with friends. Everybody is sheep seeking to shape you. We've all been shaped or formed by a variety of people, by a variety of things. This morning we read a Bible passage where Paul gives us a friendly reminder of that which should shape us. Paul basically says to young Timothy, hey Timothy, you're not supposed to be like these others that I just got done mentioning. You're supposed to be shaped by the Word of God. Very simply, Paul is saying to us in 2 Timothy this morning that our way of life is to be formed by the Word of God. You see, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, if we begin at the beginning in verse 10, Paul says to Timothy, he says, You, however, he sets it right up to compare Timothy to another group of people. Earlier in this passage, he listed off a bunch of different traits 
of a group of people that Paul has seen in action. So up in chapter 3, he goes into a list. Starting in verse 2, he says, lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Describing this group of people who had these characteristics, and then he goes in verse 10 saying, you, however, follow a different pattern. He basically, kind of a gentle reminder, your way of life is supposed to be different. Why? Let's look down a little bit now as he kind of lays out the argument. Why is your life supposed to be different? He gets into that in verse 14. But as for you, again, he's comparing it to this other group of people. So, so this group of people has this, but you continue in what you learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. So he says, hey, your way of life is supposed to be formed by this which you learned. What did Timothy learn? Sacred writings. Or maybe your version says scripture, or your version might say holy writings. The word scripture means sacred writings or holy writings, documents that are sacred, that have been that have passed down. So basically, Paul is saying, hey, your way of life has supposed to be formed and shaped by what? The scriptures would have been pointing back to the Hebrew, Hebrew scriptures, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Old Testament that Timothy would have been very familiar with. Now remember, Timothy didn't have the Bible at that point. He just had the Old Testament. He might have had a couple of gospels, maybe a couple of other letters that had been circulated, but definitely not the New Testament in the Bible as a whole. But he says to Timothy, hey, your life is supposed to be formed by these holy writings. Why? Why should Timothy's life, why should our life be formed by these holy writings? Now look with me as he continues on making the argument, verse 16. Why? All scripture or sacred writings is breathed out by God. Why is Paul saying, hey, your life should be formed by Scripture, the Bible? Why? Because it's breathed out by God. The reason that you should listen to the Scriptures is because the author of the Scriptures is God. The reason that we elevate the Bible so highly, the reason that we open it every Sunday, the reason that the Bible has been the most influential book in the history of mankind is not because it's eloquently written in human form. The reason it's been so powerful and the reason we gather around it is because of the author of it. The power and the authority of the Bible come from the source of the Bible. And Paul is saying here, hey, Scripture is breathed out by God. In other words, it's inspired by God. So when Paul wrote the letters, when the Hebrew books were written, God inspired people to write that. He was behind it. How did this happen? We don't really know. There's not any information on, did God come down and, and take their hand and move it like this? We don't know. We just know that God inspired it, that God breathed out those words through these specific people. So the Bible, which we now believe contains the Holy Scriptures, is supposed to form our way of life. Notice that it's way of life, not 
Bible forms your spiritual beliefs. Because look at what Paul is arguing for here. He's not arguing about spiritual beliefs at this specific juncture. If you look at the list in 2 Timothy 2, look at the things. Arrogant, ungrateful, slanderous, not loving good, proud, lover of money. These are not spiritual beliefs. This this is a way of living. This is Monday through Saturday stuff of how you handle yourself around others, how you handle yourself in day-to-day life. Paul is saying the Scriptures should form your way of living. The Scriptures don't just form what we believe, like the virgin birth. The issue wasn't these people weren't allowing the Scriptures to form what they believed. The issue was they weren't allowing the Scriptures to form how they were living. Most of us would agree that, yeah, the Bible tells us about the virgin birth, therefore we believe it. We would agree on that. But God's Word says, whoa, whoa, that's not it. It's not just believe this because God's Word says it's like this. Behave this way because God's Word says so. God's Word is supposed to form us and shape us. The Bible is a powerful, powerful book. If you just think about it for a moment, the Bible is the best-selling book The Bible also is the most influential book in our culture, whether people recognize it or not. Why do people get an Easter vacation? It's not because our Congress was like, hey, we need a holiday, let's come up with something. Hey, why don't we believe that somebody 2,000 years ago in the Middle East came out of a grave, and let's celebrate that. No! How would they come up with Easter because it's in the Bible? Go to your local courthouse, majority of courthouses. What's on the walls in different places? The Ten Commandments. Where do the Ten Commandments come from? Again, it's not like Congress was like, geez, we should come up with some rules that um, our courts could develop laws around. That never happened. That conversation never took place. Where did it come from? It came from the Bible. Now, I'm not making a statement here that says we've got to have the Bible in every public place. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, look at how influential the Bible has been. It's everywhere. Not just in our culture, it's been the most influential book around the world. Why is there clean water in the middle of Africa right now? It's not because the United States Congress said, hey, we should send some welfare over there. No. What happened is people that follow God said, God's word says we need to care for the least of these. Therefore, let's get some money together, get some people together, and go over there and take care of that. Governments are horrible at taking care of physical and spiritual problems. If they were good at it, what would happen? It would all be done. Why are physical problems solved around the world? Because God's Word has directed God's people to do something about it. God's Word has had great power in the history of humanity for good things, but we also have to be quick to acknowledge and honest, it's also done a lot of harm. God's Word has caused certain societies to belittle certain ethnicities and gender. God's Word at different times in history has sent God's people on massive movements of killing others. It's just the truth. I'm not promoting it. I'm saying, saying, let's acknowledge it. Let's acknowledge that God's Word has not always been handled appropriately. People around the world have been stoned because of what's in this book. This book has power. The reason this book has power 
is because of the author behind the book. The reason that so many have submitted their lives and willingly laid down their life is because of the author of the book. It's not because it's written beautifully. It's not because it contains great stories, but it's because of the one who wrote it. And that's why we pay great attention to what's in it. Because our life, our whole way of life, is to be formed by the Word of God. Look with me in verse 16 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. What does the Bible, God's Word, because we believe the Bible contains Scripture, so I use those words kind of just interchangeably. So what is the role of the Bible? Look at this. Teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So if you had to summarize what God's Word does, you could look at it in two ways. On one hand, God's Word gives some don'ts, some corrections and some rebukes. You could look at that as it's kind of taking off the sharp edges, kind of doing some chiseling. At the same time, is it what? It teaches and it trains in a way of righteousness. Righteousness being a right way of living. So God's Word doesn't just say don't. God's Word at the same time says do. So it doesn't just chisel away, but it molds new additional things in our lives. So God's Word forms us by sometimes pushing back, sometimes bringing out whatever it takes. That's the role of God's Word. It forms us to be who God wants us to be. If God's Word is to form our way of life, therefore, we should be learners of God's Word. If we agree on this statement this morning, that our way of life is to be formed by the Word of God, the implication of that is this. We better know the Word of God. If the Word of God is supposed to direct my way of life, I better know the Word of God. So I want to take a few moments this morning and talk about this book. Help us very practically understand how I should handle it, how I should read it, and how I should understand it. So I want to talk a couple of things about this book. First thing, the Bible is a conduit. The Bible is a conduit meant to deliver someone, something to us. Look with me in that 2 Timothy passage, verse 15. Verse 15. How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which, the sacred writings, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What do the scriptures do? They bring us salvation. They bring us the person of Jesus Christ. I don't know Jesus outside of the Bible. I can't know Jesus outside of the Bible. There's nothing else. In John chapter 5, Jesus is having a conversation with religious leaders. And he says to the religious leaders, he says, Hey, you don't know me. You don't know the scriptures that you study, even though the scriptures you study testify about me. And in John 5, Jesus says, You search the Scriptures diligently to inherit eternal life, but you miss eternal life because you miss the point of the Scriptures. I'm paraphrasing. In other words, Jesus is saying to the religious leaders, you know the Bible, but you don't know the God of the Bible. Therefore, your knowledge of the Bible is worthless. Because if you don't know the God of the Bible, you've missed the whole point of the Bible. The religious leaders that Jesus was talking to, multiple times, he called them, th- called them things like twice the sons of hell. He had very harsh language for these religious leaders. 
These are people who had the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy memorized. If I said it's a requirement to be a member at King of Glory, to have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy memorized, our membership rolls would empty in a hurry. Most of us memorize John 3.16 and we're like, oh, good to go. These people, they knew the scriptures, yet Jesus says to them, you don't know the scriptures because they didn't catch the point of the scriptures. The point of the scriptures is to know Jesus Christ. I can have all of the facts and all of the names memorized that I want, but if I don't know Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior, I don't know the Bible. The Bible is a conduit. Author and pastor Matt Chandler, who's done a lot of writing on the Bible and kind of defending the Scriptures in different ways, says, I want to know Him, God, and this is where I get to know Him. In other words, Matt Chandler is saying, hey, I love God. Therefore, I want to know God. And how do I know God? Right here in the Bible. That's where I get to know God. I read the Bible every day, not because I need a list of instructions, but because I need to encounter the living God. I can't encounter the living God in the mountain. I can't encounter the living God in a forest. I can't encounter the God from Oprah at 3 o'clock. I can only encounter the living God in one place, the Scriptures. All that other stuff can testify to a Creator. So you can go into nature and you can be like, wow, I mean, how did we ever get this beauty so it can testify that there is a creator, but you can't know the creator just from looking at creation. You can only know the creator through Scripture. I plead with you to open your Bible, not so you get a rule on Tuesday morning, but I plead with you to open your Bible so that you encounter the living God. Open the Bible because you get to see the risen Jesus Christ every single day. The Bible is a conduit. It's how we know God. At the same time, the Bible is a collection of inspired documents, not the divine series. This is so important for us to understand. You know, Siri, hey, uh, where should I eat today? Plug it in, pops back an answer. So many people have treated the Bible like, oh, I don't know what I should do. What should I say to my spouse today? I'm so nervous. What should I say to my spouse Listen, all Judea and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord. Okay. This isn't some magic piece of carpet that just flies around and gives me an answer to anything and everything. The Bible is, is a collection of documents over 1,500 years. The book of Genesis, compared to 2 Timothy that we read, there's at least, at least, 1,200, 1,500 years between those two books. And those are books or letters written about events or for specific people. The Bible's not a dictionary that, like, I need help today with, with um, money. What should I do? Look up money and then... No, it's not that at all. It's letters revealing the purposes of God and God's activity in the world, and we study all of that to then answer that question. What should I do about my money? Very different in looking at the Bible as just an answer book for anything and looking at the book as a collection of written material divinely inspired that reveals who God is and what God wants. There's implications to this. First is this, how you read your Bible. If I can encourage you this morning, 
read the Bible one book or letter at a time. It's, I just, I can't, it's so unhealthy to just every morning open up and point. That might not be the Spirit of God guiding you. That might be the pizza you ate last night guiding you. Read it one letter at a time. It's how it was written. God chose to use a human means to make himself known to us. Why don't we use that same human means to know God? So, if you're not real experienced with the Bible, you've been going to church, but you've never really read it a lot, let me encourage you today. Write this down. Start in the book of John. Read through John, and then 1 John. And then come back and read Luke, and then Romans. Just go in that order of those books. John, 1 John, Luke, Romans. Work through those books, one at a time. If you're more, if you've been in the Bible and it's more like you're like, I just don't know what to do, so I open it up every once in a while, but I've had a lot of Bible study experience, let me encourage you this morning. The day, the way to really dig deep is a two kind of prong method. First is this read the Old Testament in chronological order, not in the order of the books. So don't read the Old Testament, Genesis, to the end of it. It's not in date order of how it all happened. You can get yourself massively confused. So read it in chronological order so you're understanding the history of Israel and how God was working, which has great influence over all the New Testament and what God is doing today. So you can start that process. As you're doing that, read through one letter, one book of the New Testament at a time. So I might start in the book of Genesis and read a chapter a day in Genesis. At the same time, I'm going to start in the book of Luke. And then I'm going to read Acts and then Romans. So if I'm experienced, I'm starting Old Testament and New Testament at the same time. Genesis, I'm also starting in Luke to go to Acts and then to Romans. Trying to give some very practical things to grab onto. So one way of kind of memorizing what we all need, I use this method. I believe we should follow the 7 by 7 method. Seven minutes a day, seven days a week. This isn't a rule in the Bible or anything like this. You can throw this away when you leave here. I don't care. This is just something easy to remember. I believe seven, I come up with the number seven because it's perfection and wholeness in Scripture. The Sabbath, seventh day. So every day I want to have seven minutes wholeness in the Scripture. Seven days a week I need to encounter the Word of God. If all of us did this, seven by seven, it would be astounding what would happen. Not necessarily everything fixed in your life. And I want to make that clear. This is not a manual. You're like, oh, pastor told me seven by seven, everything's done fixed by next Sunday. No, no, no. By next Sunday, though, I'm going to start to develop new perspective, new understanding, new ways of thinking, ways of approaching stuff. Seven minutes a day, seven days a week. Do you know what happens when you hang out with someone a lot? They begin to influence the way you think and talk. Think of someone at your office place for a moment. Maybe they got a phrase that they use like, nice, really nice. What, what happens? Pretty soon everybody in the office is like, oh, nice, really nice. And everybody's like, oh, I wish Franklin would quit today. Because now everyone is saying what Franklin says. Because when you're around him, what happens? You start to pick up his habits. The same is true. Seven minutes a day in the presence of the living God, what's going to happen? I'm going to start to think God thoughts. My life is going to start to be formed by God himself. Seven minutes a day, seven days a week. It's a place to start. Because guess what? There's no rules or regulations here. If 
I miss seven minutes today, guess what? I'm going to do seven minutes tomorrow, and there's no punishment. Seven by seven. How many minutes a day? How many days a week? Seven by seven. The Bible is a collection of inspired documents, not the divine series. The big one that most of us face is this issue of inconsistency in the Bible. The inconsistencies are in our application and emphasis, not the text itself. One of the main objections to the Bible is people say it's inconsistent. Folks, if this comes up, if this comes up, you're talking to people, there's a very simple response, and it's not screaming, it's not yelling, it's not sharing Scripture, because that does nothing. It's asking a very simple question. Can you share an example of an inconsistency so I can learn about the challenge? That's it. If someone challenges you on the consistency of the Bible, don't share a verse with them. They don't believe in the Bible. Ask them, say, can could you help me understand where you see or what inconsistency you've heard so I can understand the challenge and maybe get refined and understand further myself? Very simple. Very, very simple. Folks, the major inconsistencies that people yell about the most has nothing to do with what's written in here. It has everything to do with how me and you have applied what's in here. So there's lists in here, lots of lists in here of sins. Sins that say, don't be covetous, don't be greedy, don't be sexually immoral, don't gossip, da-da-da-da-da. What brings about the charge of inconsistency is when a church makes a rule about one of those things in the list. And then what? Doesn't say anything about anything else on the list. You can't have communion if you've been sexually immoral this week. But you can have communion if you've gossiped this last week. Now, is there a truth in that statement? Absolutely, there's truth in that statement about sexual immorality. Perfect truth. But we're missing a serious truth as well. God's just as harsh on gossipers. It, the inconsistency is really on us. And, and where it's also on us is that there's great difficulty in the Bible. The book of Leviticus says, you know, don't wear cotton. How many got cotton on this morning? Leave right now. <laughs> right, I mean, that, that's a real issue though. But if we take something else from the book of Leviticus and I pull it out and I use that from the book of Leviticus about holiness or morality, guess what? I better be able to defend why the cotton rule no longer applies, but the morality rule still applies. Otherwise, don't touch either of them. Because then you are a hypocrite. Are there explanations to it? Absolutely. It's understandable when you understand the person of Jesus Christ and what he's done and what he instituted, what he put in place. Folks, we've got to examine our own hearts. Have I consistently applied what God has made known in his word to my life? Consistency begins with us. And if there's inconsistencies, let's talk about them. Let's dig in and try and understand. Let's not just be like, oh, God said so, it's okay if there's inconsistencies. No, let's talk about it. Converse. No screaming or yelling even needed. The Bible is centered on the person and the work of Jesus Christ, not us. The Bible wasn't written specifically for you to help solve your life problems. 
The Bible was, God was like, eh, Rich is going to need some help in 2016 deciding what to do and where to do it. I'm going to give him write this book. Here, it's all about you, Rich. What you... No. This book is about one person, Jesus Christ. This book tells the story of Jesus Christ, the plan for Jesus Christ, and what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. And when I begin to understand that, then I begin to ask the question, what does it mean for me? It's really dangerous to open up your Bible in the morning and say this, what is it saying to me today? The church does this. We've done this to ourselves. We, you cannot open up the Bible and say, what does this mean to me today? Because guess what? Someone else could open it up and it could mean 400 different things. We've got to open up the Bible and say, what is it saying about God? What is it saying about what God has done? What is it saying about what God wants? And after I've answered those questions, then I say, what are the implications for my life? There's a big difference between saying, what is this saying to me today, boom, versus reading, understanding what it's saying about God's desire, and then saying, what's the implication for my life? So each week on, when I prepare for a sermon, my goal each week is to have a very simple thesis statement that at least I know that I believe would be true at King of Glory, would be true in the middle of Africa, would be true in 2016, would be true in 1885. So this morning, the truth from God's Word is our way of life is to be formed by the Word of God. That's, that's true for anyone and everyone in any culture, in any time. Right there from Timothy. Now I've got to ask myself personally, what's the implication for my life if I allow God's Word to form in me? So now I've got to examine my own life. What in my life am I not allowing God's Word to have say over? Am I allowing God's Word to affect how I see and view other people? Am I allowing God's Word to infiltrate my thinking about money? So after I understand the general meaning that's true for everyone, I can say, what's the implication for me? So each week when I'm preparing the sermon, I try very hard to say, what's the truth of the text? What's the text saying that'd be true anywhere? And then I always ask myself, What's the implication for King of Glory if we were to implement this truth? And I try to spend time unpacking what could be true for us if, if that is true. So each day you open the Bible, what does it say about God? What does it say about what God has done, what God wants? And then what's the implication for me? The Bible is a conduit. It brings us Jesus. It brings us God himself. The Bible is a collection of documents divinely inspired. It's not the divine series. The Bible does not have inconsistencies, but we have inconsistency in our application and our emphasis. The Bible is primarily not about me, it's about God. And finally, the Bible produces humility, compassion, confidence, etc. Folks, there are some serious challenges in our community, in our state, and in our nation. The Bible's being trampled all over. But guess what? That's nothing new. If you pull up any preacher from 1850, 1890, 1920, and 1950, I guarantee what that preacher's going to say. Oh, the Word of God is under assault. I guarantee it. This is nothing new. At all, this is nothing new at all. So for us to stand out here on the street corners and say, hey, we're right, you're wrong, verse X says this, 
therefore follow along. Guess what? Unhelpful. Not only unhelpful, but unnecessary. Because God's Word does not need defending. You know what God's Word needs? Implementation from His people. Not once, not once, Jesus lived under the most ridiculous government in the history of humanity. In the, they were, you think governments are bad today. This government that he lived under was horrible. Not once did Jesus send one of his followers and say, hey, read the scroll to the Roman emperor and tell him he needs to follow along. Not once did Jesus or any of the original apostles take the word of God to unsaved people and say, hey, you should be following what's in here. Because unsaved people, guess what? can't follow what's in here. It goes against what's in here. Because what's in here says if you're unsaved, you can't fulfill the commands of Christ. So to stand out in the street corners and yell about the Bible and to say, we're right and you're wrong. Is there an element of truth? Absolutely. But guess what? It's unhelpful. It doesn't convince anyone. So what does the Bible ask us to do? One, the Bible tells us to be humble. Therefore, when challenges come, and there's challenges right now, right? I mean, in our own city, in our own state, there's challenges about issues of boy and girl, and if, if we're created a boy or girl, or if we're just a general human. This is a real issue right now today. What do we need to do? We need to say, hey, God's Word forms the way we think about this. And we believe that God has created us men and women. That's where I stand. Where you stand I, I, would, I have no say over where you stand. I'm going to work for the common good of society, but when the common good of society or the common group of society says something different, guess what? I'm not going to be like, hey, we've got to get back to the Bible because guess what? They have no interest in the Bible. I'm going to do this. I'm going to stand firm on my ground. And if they say, hey, you know what? If you teach something different than what we're saying, you're going to jail. Guess what? I'm not going to just stand up and scream and go, ah, you can't send me to jail because God's word says it's so done. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say it, and if I go to jail, I'm going to jail. I'm standing confidently and firmly on what God's word says, what it teaches, but I'm also doing this, allowing God's word to shape the way I treat people who disagree with me. Nowhere in the Bible is it allowed for you to speak evil of someone who has a wrong belief system. Someone can believe a complete heresy. Nowhere in God's Word does it say that we can say about that person, hey, they're idiots, they're evil, they're a force of the apostate, da-da-da-da. No, they're my neighbor. God's Word says, I have to love them. That doesn't mean I change. That does not mean I shift in my position or what I teach. But it does change how I interact with that person greatly. I could go on forever on this and we'll stop right there. But it's so relevant to us that if we're going to stand firmly on the Bible, guess what? Guess what? I also need to let the Bible shape how I stand firmly. The Bible says stand firm on sound doctrine. The Bible also says how to stand firm on sound doctrine with compassion, love, and humility. And then finally it says this. It doesn't say this exactly, paraphrase. Be ready to get run over. 
what happened to the Apostle Paul and the 12 disciples. They got ran over, literally. They died. They stood firm on the Word of God. They were told by the government, do not talk about Jesus. You know what Peter said? Sorry. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's risen from the dead. He preached, and then he was done. He stood firm. And I would contend he stood firm with compassion, love, and grace. It's the same thing we're asked to. It's not easy at all. And as you and I seek to be people of the Bible, it's not going to be easy because it's not all just written out in clear direction. This is what I would contend is the beauty of our Creator. God did not create me as a robot, but God created me with me unique gifts and abilities and a personality. And what God has given us, the opportunity and the freedom to do is He said, hey, Rich, be compassionate. But He's left His Spirit with us and, and me and my personality to figure out how I'm compassionate as Rich and how you're compassionate as Frank or Dan or Kathy, whatever it is. There's great beauty there that, that God would give us the opportunity to act as, as human instruments seeking to implement what He's revealed in our unique ways. Let's not make everything a cookie cutter and take away the beauty of God's creation, but let's stand on the foundation of God's revelation found in the Bible and allow that to shape us and form us so that we are cookie cutters in our own way that reflect God's beauty. A couple weeks ago, I was on 26th Street pulling up to Minnesota in a stoplight, taking a left turn. I looked over, and there's an elderly woman driving the car next to me. And I was listening to AM radio, as I normally do with this, this elderly woman. I normally think, well, they listen to AM radio. Sorry if I offended anyone. But this elderly woman, and she's just going like this, then screaming up and down. I'm like, what in the world is she listening to? Just Boom, not missing a beat at all, and it was a wild beat. Now, somebody could have drove by her and gone like, what in the world? What music is setting the tone for her? Have you ever been on the dance floor and watched someone and been like, hey, are they listening to the same band as us? And as you're stepping on your spouse's feet, your spouse is like, I mean, this is my, well, my wife stepping on my feet. I'm like, honey, we need to listen to this band, not the one right? Have you ever seen someone go into a little different rhythm? Guess what? As followers of Jesus Christ, we should be going to a little different rhythm. We should be marching to a little different beat. And do you know what beat we march to? The Word of God. That's what Paul has said to us this morning, that we march, our life is to be formed by the Word of God. We march to a different beat. So get ready. Some people are going to be driving and going, what? They're, they're giving away all their stuff? What? He's going over. He's going to pray with who? What? What? He's still going to be friends even though they disagree on that? that what? They, they're going to teach what to their kid? What? It's going to happen if we're marching to a little different beat and if we're allowing that beat to be the Word of God. Let it be said of us that we were not formed by culture or formed by talk radio, but we were formed by God Himself through the gift of His Word.
Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for this book. Thank you that you've given yourself to us. God, I pray that you would refine me as a pastor, God. Forgive me when I haven't spoken it clearly. God, help me speak clearly to these people every Sunday. God, I pray that these people would be fed every week with you, not me. And God, I pray that every day, seven minutes this next week, every day, everybody in this congregation would encounter you. God, I ask right now that you'd give us a hunger to be in your presence daily. Thank you for your word, God. Now give us understanding. Give us your spirit to guide us in our interpretation. God, have your way with our thoughts. Let your word shape us. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.